Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Go behind the wheel and under the hood on everything automotive with high-speed stuff from howstuffworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin, the auto editor here at howstuffworks.com. And my name's Ben Bolin. I write some videos at the same website, Scott. Yes. What's going on? Um, I was going to ask you the same thing. What's shaking bacon? That was what I was going to lead with, but uh, yeah. took it away from me there. Well, you're I, very... I'm oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, as usual, you can see past the uh, the shallow veneer of small talk I, I put up. Mm-hmm. You can tell I'm kind of on the razor's edge, you know, at yeah. any time. Yeah. I'm sort you, of a weird person. Antsy, Let's just, yeah, yeah. yeah, antsy. It's yeah. not just the caffeine, but, <laughs> you know, I appreciate... You're like Tweak. I'm like Tweak, man. Yeah. I'm like Tweak. And I appreciate you, uh, you know keeping me relatively relatively calm and sane here um because without the uh without the continuous support of my erstwhile partner and podcast crime who knows my friend <laughs> i might go the way of henry ford podcast crime and wait what henry ford what do you mean well remember that henry ford story you were telling me earlier i certainly do of course he's a little bit off kilter in some in some respects i guess yeah um maybe that's something not a lot of our listeners know about i i I think maybe some have an idea uh but when you start to hear some of the things that we're going to talk about today uh some of this odd behavior uh you may get a different picture of the guy i mean we don't want to discredit anything i mean he he was a genius as far as getting you know the uh, the idea of the production line uh the assembly line rather uh the movie assembly line we should clarify this was done by somebody else first but Mm -hmm. he really uh he's revolutionized it but um Getting America on the on wheels, I guess, was his greatest accomplishment. Um, he had a, a lot of other things that he did along the way. So these, uh, we don't mean to be disparaging in any way. Not at this, all. But, um, or disrespectful, but um, you do kind of need to know the other side of the story. Mm-hmm. As uh, one of Henry Ford's uh, longtime uh, colleagues actually said about him at, in one interview, um, he, you cannot judge genius, and Henry Ford was a genius. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And... Geniuses have a tendency to be just a, like I said, just a little bit off kilter in some other way. Sure. Uh, their focus, his focus is maybe primarily on business and, uh, you know, I guess 
mechanical development mm-hmm. of uh, of his product and some of the other things some of the maybe some of the people issues he had a little bit of a difficulty with and uh one of those cases uh, you were just mentioning a coworker. um here's a here's an account from a coworker. uh well really just a um, ford motor company worker from 1912 and this comes from a time article uh from 1971 so this is again a, a quoting an employee from 1912 uh talking about henry ford he said um he had his hands in his pockets and he walked around that car three or four times looking at it closely he finally gets hold of the door and bang he rips the doors right off god how the man had done, how the man had done it i don't know he jumped in there and bang goes the other door bang goes the windshield and he rips the top with the heel of a shoe and he wrecked the car as much as he could so this is the replacement for the model t that henry ford was then observing um he was furious with his engineers because they had just decided to uh, develop this new vehicle to help them keep ahead of the game because um, Ford wanted to hang on to the Model T design. It had been so successful for him sure. um, that when he realized that his engineers were developing this car without him knowing it, um, you know, they're kind of moving on without him, but with his approval, they wanted his approval, he just went nuts and tore the thing apart. So he destroyed this prototype car that they had built, um, literally ripping it from, you know, from the hinges i guess crazy yeah very i I think it's crazy yeah it is and and i mean it just shows you that you know he he was kind of on the edge and uh maybe not the best way to handle the situation all right yeah Yeah. i've I've never had a flight attempt like that uh, no (laughs) no, not like not to destroy a car where you're ripping doors off that's for sure that's superhuman almost it it is it really is i mean that gives you an idea of the adrenaline or the the anger that he must have had at that moment and um anyways i thought that was an interesting story but there's a lot more where that came from oh sure uh, you, you have an example here. I've got uh, I've got a few. Well, okay. you know, we've got some ups and some downs because yeah. there were some good things and there were some bad things. Yeah. Um, maybe we can segue into Ford's uh, singular and unique relationship with his employees. Okay. Both as like a proprietor and on a person-to-person level. Uh, what a lot of people forget when the Ford Motor Company was really taking off, uh, Henry Ford scared a lot of his competitors by paying his employees $5 a day, Mm. which was, I believe, around twice the amount that another uh, company would pay an auto employer. However, Scott, there were some setbacks, or there were some, let's not call them setbacks, trade-offs. But that brought brought so many people into Detroit to work in his factories. Yes. Uh, That is why, that's why Detroit is the is the the motor city. That's why everybody gathered there initially. I mm-hmm. mean, other if it wasn't for the five dollar a day plan right. uh, that he came up with, it it might not have taken off the way that it did. And people were doing anything to get hired, right? I mean, yeah. you know more about this. Than oh I yeah, do. they were they were super excited about this. And it wasn't there was something there's something about it being a chicken in every pot or something yeah, like that yeah. too. It was some they, there was a there was a whole poster slogan thing that went along with it. But uh, very interesting that he would pay twice the wages in the, during that time in order to get the employees there. But you said there were side uh, yes. side effects of yes, that. Yes, sir. Well, one of I think this is one of the. Ah, no, I'll save this one toward the end of this part of the conversation. <laughs> okay. It's funny, but it doesn't uh, relate you, to Ford. You're teasing me. Okay, a bit, a bit. All right, so when you join the Ford Motor Company, yes, you do get $5. You get an eight-hour work week as opposed to a nine-hour work week. Work day. Work day, yes, work day. yes, yeah, very yes. good. Okay, cause I would I, love an eight-hour work week. I could go for one of those right yeah, now. Yeah, we could do one of those. Yeah. But uh, there's one of the trade-offs um, – there was not the same sort of wall between your work life and your private life Mm -hmm. as we would expect in most other companies. Uh, There was very much a 
paternal obligation, you know, on, on Ford's behalf, employees were grilled about various parts of their lives that they would usually not discuss with their coworkers, much less their boss. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of it goes into Ford's famous, Scott's nodding at me like, he knows, like he knows this one, um, Ford's sociology department. You want to you yeah, tell oh, what please, this is? Please explain, because uh, this is a good one. Go ahead. Uh, all right. Okay. So Ford's sociology department, it's kind of like that book 1984 where all the ministries have weird names. It's mm-hmm. like the Ministry of Information lies to people. Well, <laughs> Ford's uh, sociology department spies on people <laughs> actively, aggressively, and uh, takes action. Okay. And the $5 a day is the justification behind this? Right, right. Because if you are paid $5 a day, first off, uh, you might be one of the hundreds of informants working for the sociology department. And your job is to tell the sociologist, let's call them that with some finger quotes, if any other employees have union sympathies, Mm -hmm. have personal money problems, or health problems, long-term health problems, uh, or if they gamble, or if they get drunk. Oh, those gamblers. Yeah. I, you know, I, I heard that there were spies within every plant, every every location that Henry Ford operated that would, um, I guess for lack of a better term, rat out other employees sure. uh, to him and say, you know, hey, this person sat down for a, a, a break that was um, at the time unjustified. Um, or, you know, <laughs> you know, like you said, just it, get, it got into very personal issues. And the $5 a day thing, it was almost as if he had control over their 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 body, their their person, yeah, uh, twenty four hours a day. Not just not just the eight hours that they're there under his direct supervision, but like you said, they were they were monitoring them, watching them all the time, and uh, it had to make them pretty nervous. I mean, I, I assume a lot of people got wind of what was going on, and it made them a little bit, uh, well, not so uh, not so excited about staying with the company. But for five dollars a day, they couldn't give it up. Plus, with that extra two dollars and something a day that they're earning. You know, uh, ideally, the good Mr. Ford is expecting them to buy a Model T. Ah, yes. Yeah, you're right. And that was probably, I bet you, you know what, a lot of the employees, of course, bought Model Ts. Mm-hmm. But how many, how many millions of Model Ts did they make? I forget the number. Um, but it, it, the number is huge. And you know yeah. that every employee was buying one, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, it was just, um, and it was just wildly popular at the time. It was, it was the car to have at the time. And I think he said for every... Every dollar that he dropped off the price of Model T each progressive year, uh, he would earn another thousand customers or so. Really? Yeah. Wow. Very shrewd. Very well, shrewd. I think that's a little optimistic, yeah. but you know, it's a different time. Yeah. And I think one of the points you raised that I want to go back to is the when we talk about the sociology department. This really ties into something that we see a lot with self-made businessmen, like Croc, uh, who started McDonald's also had some very big concerns about absolute control Mm -hmm. and you know breaking the car down because his engineers didn't get his explicit blessing and Mm -hmm. then uh monitoring employees in frankly a crazy way scott Mm -hmm. i know he was a genius but that's bonkers (laughs) yeah it is a little nuts and and it wouldn't fly today um it goes back into controlling being able to control people here's the stat i wanted to get with before we move on from the sociology department. So in these interviews, everybody is traveling to Detroit as it becomes the Motor City, Mm -hmm. desperate for this job that pays twice as much as you could expect reasonably. And uh, because employees didn't want to look older, a lot of employees were graying or white hair. Did you hear about this? Yeah, I did. They would dye their hair black, and as a result, 
As, go ahead. What? No, you take. This oh, one. that the uh, um, the local beauty parlors would sell out of the black dye, so they would stock up on black dye in order to make a ton of money because there were thousands and thousands of of men who were in their forties and fifties or even young, you know, early thirties, sure. lo- trying to look younger so they could remain employed at a Ford factory. So uh, the black dye for for hair would uh, would sell out everywhere in town that had it. And uh, they knew it was something they could keep on their shelves and make a profit. I bet if Henry knew about that, he would have yeah. invested in some uh, hair dyes. Exactly. Right? So they're all pretending to be younger in order to, to remain employed. That's mm-hmm. a little strange. Um, I, I bet you there's some of that going on today, too, a little bit of that. Oh, are you kidding? I, I'm sure, sure there is. Yeah. yeah. But there was, um, I guess, and we'll go back a little bit earlier at this yeah. point, but but later in his in his career, he became known as, did you read this, too? He became, he became known as the Tyrant of the Rouge, which was the Rouge plant there in Detroit, uh, right on the Rouge River. And his, uh, his former employee, he, he basically turned on his employees. Also, um, he, he just kind of got, he got very angry with them. He would, and anybody that disagreed with him, he would immediately just kick out. He would purge them from the company. Wow. Um, so he used, and like we said, we used spotters, uh, to, you know, just to, to pick out people who are, who are taking unauthorized rests. Um, he allowed violence against the unions, um, he also set the company against itself, as one Ford exec said. And um, <laughs> he said this exec, particular exec said that um, basically his mentality was, why don't you and that guy have a fight and see who wins, and that's the way they'll decide this. Wow. That was basically the way he ran the company. Now, that's probably just, you know, an overstatement, I guess. A little you know, bit of a, an anecdote. Yeah, a little bit. But um, he's just saying that's pretty much the way the company was run at the time in up to about 1945 when – um, his grandson Henry, Henry Ford II took over, mm-hmm. um, and that's when you know everything kind of went back into the way it was before. Um, but they said that he was you know he was successful, but he likely would have taken the company down with him um, if he had remained in power beyond 1945. Yeah, and which, that's that's something that I think is a valid point because if you trace the development of Henry Ford's company, then what what we start to see is um, this uh, attempt at ultimate control. Also, he does repeatedly attempt innovation with one of my favorite stories of, of this episode. This is, you've got to be talking about, are you talking about the South America? Oh, you know the name, Scott. Uh, okay. Don't play with me. All right. You ready for this? Fordlandia. Scott, riddle me this. What is Fordlandia? <laughs> Fordlandia is an awful strange place. I'll tell you that. Fordlandia, and this is, I'm not making this up. Fordlandia was a an idea at a utopian village that, that Ford had that he was going to set up in the jungles of Brazil uh, where he would manufacture rubber for his cars, his, his plants, his factories, uh, for all the cars that he was churning out day after day. And he felt that, you know, he could, you know, because he was, he felt he was being stiffed by some of the people that were supplying him. Mm -hmm. And he felt this way with other materials as well. And we'll we'll talk about that in just a moment. But um, he tried to find ways around, he tried to provide his own materials for his own factories, Mm -hmm. which, you know, genius. But um, the, the method that he used to get there, again, like I said, a little bit off kilter. And just to put some back context in here before we go into Fordlandia a little bit more, um, it does sound crazy to some people now but that's because we have synthetic rubber before 1945 (laughs) rubber only came from these trees that were only in south america except for some some uh well 
let's let some water pass under the bridge and refer to them as entrepreneurs. Okay, Scott? And I'm laughing. I'll tell you why I'm laughing. Why? I'm laughing because you're thinking that it's crazy because there's synthetic rubber now. I'm thinking it's crazy because he bought a piece of property the size of, what was it, Connecticut? Yeah, it's huge. In, in it's Brazil huge. in the 1920s yeah. to, to produce rubber for a factory in Michigan. In the, also in the 1920s. He's got a big vision, Scott. I, I, you know what? I know. I understand. I understand the thought process. But wow, what a what a uh, what an undertaking! Well, people uh, in the beginning have already we all we introduced this podcast by talking about how I'm sort of well. <laughs> they say that even today now, Fordlandia is a place you can go right now. You could go. You could go visit there. It's, it's still around. It's still around. It's oh. it's terribly overgrown. It's uh, it's it's just a wasteland right now, which is like a ghost town. Mm. There's some. People that still live there apparently in the town, but they're they're you know just kind of elders that remember you know the mm-hmm. day when this was this was around. Um, there is an author who has taken on this project. His name is Greg Grandin or Grandine. Um, he wrote a book called Fordlandia: The Rise and Fall of Henry Ford's Forgotten Jungle City. Yes, and um, he says that it's still an 18-hour journey by riverboat from the nearest provincial city to Fordlandia. So that gives you an idea of how desolate this area was. And the idea was that, it, again, it's this utopian theory or thought that he's going to build um, a, a city, a self-sustaining city, where people are going to be um, able to work, live, go to school, you know, recreation, everything, uh, provide the materials that he needs. It's kind of this cottage industry idea that Ford had early on that um, you know the, the, the community comes together to produce what's necessary and then ships it out, and that's how everybody... Uh, you know, makes their living as and long as they fit into his definition of the correct lifestyle. Exactly, and it's been it's been described as like a kind of a kind of a mini Roman Empire in that you know he would he would <laughs> nice. kind of rule these uh, these small little cities all over the place. And this is not the only place that we're going to talk about. I, I just want to get quickly off of the the Fordlandia thing, yeah, yeah. and we'll come back to it. Yeah, in Michigan there are a ton of these places around these little cottage industry towns, and one of them is Alberta Village. Uh, which is, uh, uh, I think it says on the shores of Lake Plumbago um, in Lance Town. Uh, where is it? Lance. Ah, it's in, in Michigan, um, off of U.S. Highway 41, I believe. Um, right now, again, same, same idea. It was a, I think it was a wood mill factory uh, that was there and surrounded by all these little cottages and schools and, you know, et cetera, fire hydrants, towns, yeah. uh, town streets. Now everything is just, you know, overgrown. There's a, I mean, I think Henry Ford had a residence there that may have been preserved. Um, but he was, the, the the idea behind that one was to produce, um, it was to produce wood for, it was for his uh, woody station wagons. Because the company was using, they say, 200 to 300 million board feet of lumber each year uh, to, to maintain what they needed for the, for the uh, manufacturing. And so it was his idea that, you know, he thought he was being stiffed on the, on the bill for the wood, mm-hmm. that he would, um, he would just create, you know, he'd do his own. So he was using these, uh, these kind of revolutionary um, foresting ideas, you know, like with, uh, what, I don't know what type of um, selective cutting, I guess is what they call it, or sure. selective growing, something like that. He was using these really advanced uh, ideas, a way to, way to cut the wood. However... Uh, it just didn't seem to work out. Um, I don't know if it was just too remote or what, but um, you know, once, like around the the late '40s, when it switched over power to his grandson, uh, the idea, the, his ideas, kind of faded, and these these smaller towns in Michigan just kind of went away. I see. Uh, they just didn't didn't prevail anymore. Um, you can still go to to some of these places, like one, uh, the one that I just mentioned. Um, 
I think that's the one. Yeah, the, the um, Alberta Village is now part of the Michigan Technological University in Houghton. Um, and they, I think it's just a, a forest preserve. They're, they're dedicated to preserving the memory of his ambition is what it says. So um, these towns are still around. They're still overgrown. They're, you know, they're all over the yeah. place. They're dotted here and there um, in Michigan. But um, nothing quite as, uh, as large as Fortlandia, I believe. And also, we, we, it's easier to remember Fordlandia because it was, with all due respect to Mr. Ford, it was a fantastic failure. <laughs> yeah, Tremendous right. in its magnitude. Yeah. And um, that really is because sometimes you, you can't, it, it, it's just, it's very presumptuous to think that the same rules that apply in your local area of the world will apply somewhere else. So there were ecological problems and there were some cultural problems. A lot of people problems. A yeah. lot of people problems, which goes back to what you're saying earlier. So we've kind of got we we've kind of got a couple of things on our bucket list of weird Ford stuff, you mm -hmm. know. Uh his one man car rampage, mm -hmm. his uh bizarre uh monitoring of employees, mm -hmm. his strange building of uh Utopian societies of communes, mm -hmm. which still were kind of popular at that stage in American history. Yeah. Um, but we're not done yet, are we? No, not yet. We've got some more stuff. Go ahead and hit us with it. Oh, man. You want me to be? Yeah. You want me to yeah. be the one? Well, I'll bring it up. That's all right. All I'm right. Not. Don't shoot the messenger, listeners. Um, but uh, Henry Ford, it turns out, was quite a conspiracy theorist, which a lot of people have heard about. Um, maybe in some way or another but we're gonna just briefly tell you how how this worked um henry ford's main conspiracy the way it really started is that he thought the lusitania was purposefully sunk by uh international bankers who started world war both world wars essentially mm -hmm. yeah and not only did he not not have a problem with saying this but he also used it as a platform to be an anti-semite and did not understand why people had a problem with him doing that. Uh, some of what he, some of what he's saying, and this is this explains a little bit of it, and this is just a tiny little bit of it. But, yeah, yeah. Um, he did. He bought a newspaper. Yeah, the uh, Dearborn Independent. Exactly, and he. Um, I guess there were a lot of editorial pieces that just went mm -hmm. on and on about uh, you know. Yeah. The the Jewish faith and how it was wrong, and he also railed against. Um, I want to say alcohol and gambling and, yes, and dancing yes. and immigrants and, and music. unions. Yeah, it was just it was just everything. He it was just very felt, anti. Yeah, he wasn't exactly. pro I mean, many things. Exactly. And I read an article that said that if he said everything, even even the movies that they showed were about all about sex and sin. Even even the religious <laughs> right. movies. He said right. the religious movies were even about sex and sin. He said that and now again, this is him speaking, not me, but he said they were made by the Jews who who he blamed for everything, including jazz, um, because they ruled the music industry, uh short skirts because they controlled the garment industry. And he did, however, use the newsreels they point out to promote his cars. Yeah, he so, also promoted his cars the entire time. Through the films, yeah, because, yeah. you know, the newsreels would have the, the clips at the beginning with the, the latest local news or, you know, mm. national news. And uh, he didn't have a problem putting his ads in the, in the front of those films. But um, he was dead set against them that, you know, they were, they were full of sin and sex. Yeah, even though they sold some cars for him. Yeah. And interestingly enough, though, uh, despite these 
outrageous views, um, which are, I guess, even more outrageous in our time than they were, you know, when he was a child or when he was in the 30s and 40s talking about this kind of stuff. Uh, there were people who agreed with him, including, you know, people in other hate organizations like the Ku Klux Klan or something. But all that, all that aside, it's interesting. He stopped really plugging this, uh, this discrimination platform when uh there's st several theories why mm -hmm. but eventually he moved away from it and a lot of people say it, it may have had something to do with his decline in sales with a lot of people who who didn't want to be who didn't want to support this guy especially with the rise of one of uh henry ford's biggest fans in europe really adolf hitler no kidding no kidding well I, you know yeah What's interesting about that is that Henry Ford made the uh, the vehicle for the common man here, the, the Model T. Yeah. And Hitler's idea was the vehicle for the common man there, which was the Volkswagen Beetle. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of an interesting uh, an interesting mix, isn't it? Because I, I hadn't heard that before. I have a, I have a quotation. Yeah, go ahead. Um, let's see. Uh, in – all right. Uh, Adolf Hitler's administration actually – really started to to get Henry Ford in some in some trouble because they translated a lot of his anti-semitic work into German and distributed it. Oh boy. I know, right? That's the kind of pressure you can't live down. Yeah. And he said, uh, I regard uh Henry Ford as my inspiration. Uh he's reportedly speaking to a Detroit news reporter um before he became the German chancellor. So this is like 1931 he's saying this. Wow. And he had a life-size portrait. Now this is, uh, you know, this is not, I don't have a picture of this, but apparently Adolf Hitler had a life-size portrait of this American automaker next to his desk. Now before we get any angry listener mail, we're not saying that Henry Ford was a Nazi by no. any means. No, this is just history. Yeah, this is just, just history, and this is just, um, you know, nobody knew, I think, that Adolf Hitler would go on to wage World War II, mm -hmm. um, but it, it's it's very bizarre when you think about um, who who his fans were and how much this uh, this sort of these anti-Semitic beliefs really contributed to um, a lot, uh, frankly, a loss of respect that a lot of the American public had for the for the guy. Yeah, I can I can fully understand that. I I, I get it. Um, like you said, that's pretty bad press. You're not going to be able to come back from something like that when that's when that's aired out there. Right. Um, but interesting, interesting mix. I had I really had no idea the connection there between um, you know the, the Third Reich and uh, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, you know, we shouldn't yeah. put it in that. It's sense, not I like guess. a connection. It was, it was more that it was more that he respected what he had done, the way he had industrialized the nation, and the way right. he had he had um, I guess gotten the uh, the men. You know, to to gather around and do exactly what he needed to the do. The efficiency, yeah, exactly. The efficiency. Yeah. The I don't know if I'm even stating that the right way, but I just mean that probably he respected his uh, his command. I, I would think. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know other than um, the the efficiency. I think is is a very good argument. Yeah. All right, Scott. I've got one more weird fact about Henry Ford. Okay. I think this may be the closer. Do you have anything else? I. Uh, no, I think I'm done. All right. Okay. Oh, you know, one more. Yeah. Just just read up on Ford Landy because there's a lot of more weird, you know, a lot more weirdness oh, yeah. going on there. And just, just check it out. It's God, interesting. We could have done a whole episode on yeah. that. Okay. I loved it. All right. With that said, go ahead, Ben. With that said, here's the closer. Now, if you know Henry Ford, you are obviously acquainted with Thomas Edison, right? Yeah. Okay. So 
how would you describe their relationship, Scott? Oh, they were buddies. They would go out into the, uh, I guess, into the forest and hunt and camp, mm-hmm. and uh, he and Firestone would do the same thing, and, and presidents would even go out with these guys, and they would uh, just kind of hang out under the trees and talk, and that's the way they got business done. Thick as thieves, right? Yeah, exactly. They'd come over for dinner at each other's mm-hmm. homes, and uh, it was just, they were, they were good pals. Check this out. They were such good pals, and this is true, that when Thomas Edison was dying on his death well when he was on his deathbed i guess what else do you do on that yeah uh henry ford had his last breath captured and it is still around you can go see the the glass container uh, did you know about this i mean I, you're from michigan i've seen it you've seen it i've seen it i've been there yeah i've been to the henry ford before and it's a it's a fantastic museum i've seen it there i didn't know you were going to say that but that's uh, i forgot about that that's so weird trigger. dude that, that is strange yeah to capture a dying man's last breath in a bottle that's weirder than keeping people's hair it, i mean that's like up there i know it i know it i can't imagine the thought process that's going on in the in you know he's there on his deathbed capturing the last breath and putting it in a bottle this is really um, gross, but I wonder what it smells like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that, sorry. That is really gross. I can't, but no, it's uh, it's an interesting place. That museum yeah. is fantastic. Mm. Uh, the Not only the museum, the Henry Ford, you know, where the, the automobiles are, which I could spend days and days and days walking around, um, but also uh, the Greenfield Village area that's right around there. That's mm. uh, It's got um, the Wright Brothers um, bicycle shop. It's got, um, I think it has... Edison's laboratory that they've brought into uh, reassembled there. Wow. Um, there's a Firestone tire factory on the grounds. There's farm farmland. There's just all kinds of uh, uh, village industry type places. And I, I think he built that, um, Henry Ford built that with the idea that it was reminiscent of the town that he grew up in pre-Industrial Revolution, pre-cars even. Cool. Uh, he just kind of made this his little, uh, you know, I guess his little fortress, his little area that, you know, he felt safe. Um, I thought it was pretty pretty interesting that you know here's this I don't know I want to say a utopia again but it, it's not not really it's just a it's an interesting little town. It's almost like visit. an homage. Yeah, it really is. It's really cool. So I guess that that wraps it up for us today, guys. We hope that you find Henry Ford as endlessly fascinating as we do. I don't know about you, Scott, but I think that regardless of his eccentricities, which I don't condone, um, that guy, he really has changed the face of America. I I feel weird calling him that guy. I feel like that's almost a little too (laughs) casual, you know? Yeah, I know. He was uh, was a brilliant man. Yeah. Brilliant man. And he did a a lot of good for this country. Do you guys uh, out there in podcast land know of any other interesting or innovative and odd uh, inventors of anything automotive. That's a lot of A's. Yeah. That was yeah, a lot works. of A's. A lot of illusion. That's okay. Well, okay, but if you if you do or if you have a suggestion for any upcoming episode, you can always hit us up at High Speed Stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the High Speed Stuff blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Com.com slash compatibility.